As they defund the police, as they release more criminals on a round-robin basis, letting them out of prison almost as soon as they commit a crime to commit the next one right behind them, it would seem Democrats have one goal. They want to make Americans defenseless, unable to defend themselves in the face of violent crime and criminals. It is weird, almost. They have gone into a full gun grab mode in a way they haven't before. Joe Biden uh, usually says exactly what he's thinking, sometimes even when he doesn't even want to say what he's thinking or whether he's thinking or doesn't anymore. He has called for a ban on handguns. Yep. And the other day, he's said violence and crime are escalating daily across the country. But this is the thing. They're releasing most of the criminals who are involved in most of these violent cases. In the cases of the mental health problems, it is the releasing of many of these people with mental health issues as they shut down hospitals that used to confine people or had a place where they could go to not live out their violent tendencies on the public. You see, back just a few years ago, there were mental health hospitals, uh, places where people who with major mental health problems could be cared for. And yes, there were issues in many cases, but the vast majority of the hospitals were well run and, in fact, had become a way that people who had serious mental disorders could cope with these problems. But there was a almost unanimous move pushed by Hollywood and many others. If you ever watched the movie Once Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, well, it was basically an anti-mental hospital film that essentially created a horror story about how mental hospitals were run, and that in many cases, it almost built an undue hatred for those people renting, uh, running those mental hospitals. And, uh, you know, these, these places where mental health were, were dealt with in other ways before. Yes, nobody wants to go back to the days of uh, lobotomies and uh, electric shock treatments. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is many of these facilities, some of them massive, some of them huge, still exist. Many just need to be renovated and rebuilt and they can be put back into operation. And instead of seeing tens of thousands of people masturbating across many useless places and, uh, you know, shopping malls and, uh, let's say, subway stations and, uh, you know, acting completely devoid of an ability to perform any kind of function that is positive for society, they've been released. And this is where you're seeing a lot of the unexpected cases of violence come out. Now, in most instances, and no one is saying that, you know, you need a gun in order to protect yourself from homeless people who are mentally ill. No, you do not need a weapon all the time to protect yourself from these people, because sometimes showing a weapon might not even help you. They may still come at you. 
but it is a means of protecting yourself if they are themselves armed. Especially if you're someone who's older or has uh, problems physically defending yourself with your hands or feet or whatever. Not everybody can be Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee. Martial arts may seem to be a great way of learning how to defend yourself and stay in good health, but it also can be a problem if you don't know what you're doing or are physically unable to carry out the tasks at hand. Now, Biden and the Democrats, it would seem, want to leave Americans defenseless because that's what socialists do, as Republicans would say. I tend to disagree. I think they wanted to leave them defenseless because that way they become more dependent on the politicians. And by releasing more gang members into the streets, many of whose gang member groups, many of these gang member groups rather, have become almost political supporters of the politicians who are releasing them into the streets. It is a question that there's asking. How many of these gangbangers, these gangsters, these street thugs, these violent individuals, when released, donate to certain politicians and political parties, sometimes from the very resources they've been accused of stealing or dealing and earning from. Is there a connection with the amount of people Round Robin released into society and political contributions and donations? Is there even darker sides to it? Are some of these violent acts being conducted in communities where, for example, the probability of creating instances of violence could turn an election one way or another. And we're not talking about the shootings in many cities. We're talking about an occasional beatdown of an elderly Asian or someone suddenly acting violent towards a nurse or a doctor or all of these things that continue to spiral out of control in society. How many of these cases of criminal assault are instigated by groups who are allies of political leaders for whom enraging some groups could be something that leads to political gain. Think about it. I'm Mike of New York. We'll be back after these messages. Since today is a primary day in a number of our states, I thought it might be a, a good time to take a little look back at where the Senate was a few months ago when we were confronted with the widespread Democratic big lie that in Georgia there was an effort by the Republican legislature and Republican governor to engage in voter suppression by passing a new voter law in the wake of the pandemic year that we all went through as a number of states adjusted their uh, manner of voting, picking up some of the things that were tried during the pandemic year and rejecting others.
The Democrats almost broke the Senate over this issue, came within two votes of getting rid of the filibuster over this issue. Well, early indications are we have record turnouts in Georgia, record turnouts. The uh, indications are that at least the early voting part of the new Georgia law, more people are turning out than did in the presidential primary, and dramatically more have turned out than in the 2018 uh, primary, which would be apples and apples, 18 to 22. Uh, this conclusively proves so far that there's, there's no effort in Georgia to suppress the vote. This was simply an effort to try to intimidate everybody, and a lot of corporate America bought into it, and a lot of other people bought into it, and some of you may have, um, to intimidate the Senate into federalizing the way we handle elections. It was a big lie, and the big lie has been in the process of disproven in Georgia uh, today. Well, in the first part there, you heard Mitch McConnell saying how the Democrats have almost broke the Senate, just from the guy who basically almost broke the bank, the Chinese bank. Uh, no, we're just talking about how his father-in-law borrowed uh, so much money from the uh, People's Republic of China, especially their bank. Uh, just like, uh, who's that guy, you know, who sells paintings every now and then? Who's the son of the president, too, Hunter Biden. Yes, believe it or not, they're both in the same boat. Uh, well, same group, uh, whatever. But they're borrowing money from wherever is, of course, a business transaction, as they say. And uh, unfortunately, under the current uh, Department of Justice, they're not looking into it. Other than that, we also have uh, this to listen to, which is a proposal to certain gun control restrictions with amendments for military spouses, which means uh, if you have a military spouse uh, or are the spouse of someone in the military uh, who is serving overseas, there are certain restrictions, uh, you would be exempt from certain gun control uh, registration loopholes and other things. Uh, what it basically says is best clarified by Congressman Thomas Massey. Don't remember what state Massey's from, but listen in and he's got more for you. Amendment to the amendment in the nature of a substitute to H.R. 7910, offered by Mr. Without Massey. objection, the amendment will be considered as read. The gentleman is recognized for five minutes to explain his amendment. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I offer this amendment sincerely, and I want to explain some of my motivation for offering it. We think a lot about our active military who are deployed overseas and, you know, putting their lives on the line and pausing their personal development, their careers, in order to protect this country. But too often we don't think about their families at home. And in the case of, for instance, the wife at home who's taking the kids to the doctor, who's paying the bills, uh, paying the mortgage, getting the yard mode, fixing the car, basically in many ways operating not just like a, a single mom, but taking care of 
the, the military members' business as well, affairs, uh, while he is deployed. And it occurs to me, and, it, and this is the case, that a, a lot of people who enlist in the military, they start their lives early. They get married early. It's not uncommon for somebody under the age of 21 to be married and in the service. And that single, you know, the, the wife at home, who's almost like a, a single mom if they have kids at that point, has a tremendous burden. And we shouldn't add to her burden that she cannot defend herself and her kids when her husband is deployed. Yet that is what raising the age to purchase a modern long rifle or shotgun is going to do. Already, under the age of, if you're under the age of 21, you cannot buy a handgun from an FFL. Well, in the case of a military spouse whose husband is deployed, maybe she could get a shotgun or a rifle, which wouldn't quite be as effective as a handgun, but at least it's something. But what we're, we're telling that mom at home is you got to buy a single shot 22. You've got to buy a, a, a shotgun whose design is 150 years old if you want to protect your family at home while your spouse is deployed. Now you may say, well, military, they've got a lot of buddies. Surely there's a guy who's not deployed, who's a, a friend of the guy who's deployed, who's willing to buy a, a firearm and give it to the spouse at home. Guess what? That's not going to work after this bill passes because it's not an uncle or a niece or a stepchild. There's not that family relation. And so if somebody tries to help the single mom at home whose husband is deployed by giving her a firearm, now she's guilty of gun trafficking under this bill. The buddy giving the firearm to her is guilty of gun trafficking under this bill. And ultimately, what does she want to do? She just wants to protect her family while her husband is deployed, risking his life to protect the Constitution. She deserves the, the same protections as anybody else, regardless of the fact that she started her family at age 18, 19, or 20. She should not be deprived of that right. So what my bill says, or my amendment... It, it amends the underlying bill. Right now, the underlying bill raises the age to purchase a, a semi-automatic long gun or shotgun from 18 to 21. Uh, but it says if you're a member of the armed forces on active duty, then um, you're exempt from this. My amendment's simple. It just says if you're a spouse of a member of the armed forces on active duty, you're also exempt from from this. And before my colleagues on the other side of the aisle say, oh, well, a young mom could never use a, uh, a firearm to defend her family. I've got a story here of an Oklahoma woman killed an intruder, uh, called 911. She, she would not let the intruder enter her home. Uh, her husband had, wasn't in the military, but in a very similar situation. He had died of cancer. And the community knew it. When members of the military are deployed, the community knows it. It's a point of pride for the community that somebody in that community is over there and, and, and serving the country and their community. But there are people who would take advantage of that knowledge knowing that there's a single mom at home, like this person did in Oklahoma when the husband died of cancer and the community knew it. But uh, this mother was able to defend herself and her baby 
with a firearm, uh, and we should not deprive anybody of that right, and that's what my amendment does. It protects that right, and I yield back. Senator Fire. Uh, does the gentlelady insist on a point of order? I do not insist on my point of order. And that's all for me for now, as we listen and try and howl. I'm Mike of New York. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. And, uh, well, it is not just today's episode. We'll probably come out with three or four today, maybe five. Who knows? Depends on the mood I'm in, I guess. <sighs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I try and get these out as often as I can. Uh, these past few days have been... Uh, exceedingly warm in the city and the sky is exceedingly beautiful and a rare chance for me to get out and be about so i will of course try and tell more stories about the city i'm in because after all i am like uh, new york and uh, i'm supposed to be talking about this city i'm in and this wonderful state Hey, we don't always agree with the politics and the politicians, but it is a beautiful place to be sometimes. Y'all have a great time now. I'm Mike of New York, Mike Cohen. Enjoy your weekend.